0: Welcome to Cardboard Philosophy, the board game podcast where we talk about nothing serious, seriously. Each episode, we randomly pick from a list of niche, deep board game topics and have at it. So we invite you to join us at the table, listen in on our conversations, and let us know what you think. Welcome back to episode seven of your new favorite podcast, Cardboard Philosophy. I am Robert, and alongside me are Steve and Evan, as always how are you guys doing great feeling fantastic ready to talk some board games yeah fantastic all right let's do it i'm gonna roll the dice and we will get going here we go and we got 23 which is uh one of my topics multiple paths to victory Mm. so what i'm trying to get at here is that i hear this term thrown around a lot whether or not a game has multiple paths i.e. many ways to get points. First of all, I want to talk about what does this mean? Do we all share the same definition of multiple paths to victory? Then I want to mostly talk about if this adds or reduces things like depth, replayability, interaction, etc. And then I've also noticed that it seems to be a more modern phenomenon. Going back and playing older games, say, pre-2008, this doesn't seem to be as common. And finally, maybe we can close that with do we like this? Why or why not?
1: I think the definition of multiple paths to victory would be there being multiple different. And I'm just gonna basically change all the words, so I'll uh, I'll refrain from doing that. Uh, a game example of that I think would be like Great Western Trail, where you have three separate types of worker resources that you can use. If you go yeah. hard into one of those worker resources, you're probably gonna get more points because you know if you have six builders, you're gonna be able to build those buildings worth 20 points versus if you go the cowboy strategy you're going to be able to have those cows worth seven and eight and nine points versus the cows worth three points yes
0: i think that's like the poster child example for me is great western trail
1: i'm trying to think of like
2: my most extreme example almost i don't know if that's the best way to do it but um i'm thinking of stuff like either shot and toten is that how you pronounce it yeah, sure, yeah um ding and oh he dinged (laughs) Uh, himself
0: (laughs) i don't know if you're allowed to ding yourself but
2: continue i gave you guys a beat that one i think like that's there's like literally different ways to win right you either get like three in a row or or right is it three in a row or like five total right like there's Mm -hmm. different win conditions i don't know if that's the best example but just like where there's Explicitly different conditions or like a very like asymmetrical game like root I guess would be an example right where there's you can't even do the same things right so for one character collecting X number of whatever you know or for another it might be completely overtaking the board you know which are also like explicitly different conditions but like even how you even interact with like the game state seems very different.
1: Although In the case of Root, you can have multiple paths to victory within a faction. Mm, That's true. I think a lot of the conversation is coming down to, and maybe this is where its genesis lies, is do we confuse uh, strategic depth with options?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good example of two different definitions of it almost or like you know like there's the literally the different ways of interacting and then there's within those there's even different strategies so like different strategies and different paths to victory seem synonymous similar i think everything
0: you guys are saying are somewhat related let me try to take a step back because i think i have a very general thought that isn't game specific and maybe could could lead us into talking about the specifics kind of Uh, More concretely, or with with more shared understanding. So when people say multiple paths to victory, I often hear them mean like this game, I'm going to try strategy A. Next game, I'll try the B strategy. There's like the excitement in that is that every game they can try a new approach, Mm. and like the way they get points are is is a different way. Like this game, collecting animals will give me points. Next game, going up the blue track will give me points. And then they might find games that are more old school, say something like Tigris and Euphrates or Yellow and Yangtze. Ding, (laughs) ding. (laughs) both things love it, um, where there's only one way to get points. You get points by collecting sets of colors. That's it. You can't say, I'm going to try the red point strategy this game. Mm-hmm. That doesn't exist. You have, to do, you have to get all of them. And so I think it might have to do with almost the distance between the action you take to getting the points. Mm. Because it's not true that in Yellow and Yangtze there is only one strategy. Because it's like, well, how do I go about collecting those sets? That's where the game lies. It's like, it's not about do I focus on red points or yellow points? I need both. But how do I efficiently, cleverly, whatever, maneuver to get those things? So for somebody like me who tends to prefer games where there's kind of like one or only two ways to score points versus the so-called point salads where there's 20 ways to score points, I find the fun in those being the struggle to do everything right as opposed to uh, the struggle if there is one of, of specializing so I think it, it like you could almost say every game, every good game has multiple paths to victory, just kind of the way it's framed yeah. changes our interpretation of it like it's framed very explicitly in some games or it's a more implicit framing if that makes any kind of sense.
1: Well, I think that's what you're getting at is it sounds like you prefer games where the Multiple paths to victory are more opaque and are a little bit more hidden by the designer or hidden by, you know, the development of the game. Whereas if it's like three tracks, you pick the track, which one you want to go up, that's pretty much just putting a display case around your paths to victory. It's like, oh, there's three tracks here. All of them have a lot of points at the end. I'm not going to be able to go up all three. I have to pick a lane and stay in it. So I think it's almost, at what point do multiple paths to victory become a game? And is it just your game is on rails? What about something like chess?
2: I mean, there's only kind of one way to win, right? Like there's one win condition, but there's a lot of different strategies or like styles, right? Like there's a lot of kind of, I think this is what you were saying, Robert, of like there's ways of getting there. And it kind of also depends a little bit on like your opponent, like what they're trying to do kind of might affect which strategy or path you know you take. I think I weirdly kind of prefer those. I, I don't know, sometimes I think whenever there's the different tracks or paths, it seems like one ends up being the optimal one or the generally better one, but maybe not always. I think if they're well-balanced, it can be you know fun and exciting and add variety maybe.
1: Well, I'm thinking of a game like Terra Mystica as well, where I would say that that potentially could be a multiple paths to victory game but I think it hides it really really well because you have a track track on the side of the board where you are gonna get points but you also have a bunch of building tiles that are gonna get you points you have a bunch of stuff on your player board that's gonna get you points you're probably gonna have to focus on something but that's also gonna be kind of a requisite to do what you're trying to do in the game if you take the points away from that if that makes any sense like they're not necessarily rewarding you for what you're doing, which is what a lot of point salads will do, but there are rewards along the way for what you're trying to do if that makes any sense
2: now here's another question
1: does whether or not you get like points
2: changed things like if there's like mm. eight different tracks, but they all ultimately just give you victory points, you know what I mean like is that there's there's really only one win condition it's get the most points, but there's a lot of different ways to arrive at that. So, I mean, I don't know.
0: I think it's, it's more apparent when there are points, but I don't think that's it. I think I, I, think I know what it is. It is when you can ignore parts of a game and to focus on others mm. that there are what people call paths to victory. But when you cannot ignore a part of the game, like if there are eight tracks and you and it would be bad to ignore any single one of them, mm-hmm. like you have to move up all eight, regardless of whether or not there are points, that is not a multiple paths to victory game. There's one path to victory, move up all the tracks as much as you can. Well, if you could be like, I'm going to ignore those two this game and still do just as good as somebody who ignores a different two, then you have multiple paths. And so what that means is that the games that do have these multiple paths feel a little bit less interconnected. The mechanisms are a bit more removed from each other. Things don't affect each other; they don't intertwine as deeply as they do in games where there are not multiple paths. So I think it has to do with that. Can you ignore a part of the game and do well, regardless of if it's a a point system or not?
2: What about something like a deck builder, where there's kind of these different ways? Like to me, you can ignore like in in. At least some deck building games, I can kind of ignore one faction or one type of card, or I can be like, okay, I'm only going to focus on the blue cards versus the red and the green cards, or whatever, or I'm going to go for ones that have this keyword, or like, you know what I mean? Like, generally, there's a few different combos that you can kind of go after, and you inherently have to ignore all the other ones. (laughs) Yes. That's a great example, I
0: think, of this multiple paths to victory thing. Like, deck builders almost always, I think, fall in that category.
1: So then I think the question boils down to, Is the game interesting if you were to do that strategy a second time? And I think that comes down to the level of interaction, but also the level of, I guess, feedback and input that you're getting from the game to say, okay, I'm going to ignore that again. But maybe, you know, the economy of the game has shifted enough that ignoring that this game is really going to bite you. And I think that might be something that really draws me to a lot of economic games is because the players can kind of shift what has value, because money is usually points in an economic game. The players are then shifting, hey, I was going to ignore that this game, but now because Steve has made you know bananas worth $30 every turn, and he's got a banana farm, I got to get in on bananas, or my oranges are never going to cut it.
0: Yeah, I think interaction really ties into this discussion, because almost necessarily in a game, in this you know, example game, where there are eight tracks and in version A, I can ignore two of them and you can ignore a different two. We're interacting less because I'm moving up on these two that you're totally ignoring and you're moving up on those other two that I'm totally ignoring. So we have less interaction than if we were both having to move up mm-hmm. on all eight tracks. So in a game where you can't ignore anything because there is, so to speak, only one path to victory, I think it's necessarily more interactive because you're just gonna be bumping shoulders more often Then if you can go do your farming thing and I'll go do my fishing thing and we never we never interact. So I think interaction is is born out of this concept of interlocking mechanisms that force you to focus on everything.
2: Evan, you made an interesting point about whether or not it's fun to sort of like do the same strategy, maybe like again in a second game. Or I'm trying to think of like the benefit you would argue of these multiple paths is you can try out different ones. And I guess the question then is is the game only as fun as long as you have different ones to explore and then once you've explored them all or decided this one's my favorite, you know, I guess that's where there's that second layer of, okay, is it still fun to kind of just jam on my favorites? Which I mean, I don't know, like a fighting game or I'm just thinking of like video games, right? Like you pick your favorite fighter, you eventually kind of land on one, but you still play the game over and over again. You just kind of have your preferred way of doing it.
1: Although using that analogy a fighting game has a lot of interaction in it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and also going off the fighting game analogy, it matters like using the same character feels different against different yeah. opponents, right? So I think if I pick a specific strategy in a game that I like and you pick one and we just keep doing mm. those two, it'll get boring faster than if I was con- consistent and you were you were changing cuz no matter what game we're talking about, there's some level of interaction and I do have to pivot a bit based on what you're doing. But yeah, if a game exists where I don't have to pivot at all based yeah. on what you're doing, then I imagine that game gets quite
2: boring quite hmm. quickly. I don't know why the fighting game thing is really making me think now because it's sort of like you you pick a different strategy at the beginning and then you enter into a game of that is very one path to victory, which is kill the other person.
1: I think a really popular um, example of that right now uh, that I've played a couple of times, so it's probably why it's front of mind, is Guards of Atlantis 2. Where that is a game you could pick your fighter every single time, and I've done that, I've played it about 4 or 5 times now, no game has ever played out the same. Because you have that other player across the table from you, you have someone on your team who's going to do completely different things than they did last time, even if they have the same fighter, like there's different random elements that are going to come in. Whereas maybe you were planning on ignoring a part of the game, the wind conditions can shift if you're ignoring a part of that game too much. And maybe that's something that kind of solves that problem that you have, is having a shifting wind condition so that, you know, if you're going up tracks A and B really, really fast, the wind condition is going to shift to A and B, and Steve is going up D and C, not fast enough for that to shift to that win condition. And maybe that's something that can kind of alleviate that feeling that you have.
0: But then I feel like you're almost making it the game where you can't ignore something. Like you're saying you can solve the problem of if being able to ignore something by creating a point in the game where it's no longer ignorable. And then I think we're like out of the realm of multiple paths. right? You're saying like Steve's moving up C mm. and D, you're going up A and B, but Steve realizes he needs to pivot to A and B now and follow you
1: i'm just describing an economic game is what i'm doing <laughs> yeah
0: um and it's like well yeah he pivoted right so he, he could not ignore B. Yeah. so yeah but but i agree that interaction is one of the best answers that i could think of in these kinds of games such that you need to pivot sometimes based on what your opponents are doing you can't do step one through ten rinse and repeat every game you play
1: i think it's a lot more difficult to have something where you feel like there's multiple paths but there's interaction to the point where it's going to be satisfying for people that want that table talk or want that, you know, hitting shoulders against each other like uh, Robert was describing earlier.
0: It kind of clues it into why it's a modern phenomenon, this Paths to Victory thing, at least why I think it's a modern phenomenon. It's because solitaire games, like more solitaire games, are becoming more popular. Mm. So less interaction is more popular. And when you have a game that is less interactive, then you can't bring out the depth or the interest or the replayability via in interaction, which I would argue is the king of replayability. That's what makes games consistently yeah. fun is that they're interactive. But if you don't have that, you need something else. And so what you could do is throw out 20 different ways to try to win because those 20 things all give you points in a different way and kind of surface level, that is a, an interesting motivator to play again. Like, this time I did animals, next time I'll do fishing, right? If you don't have that much interactivity in the game, then the mechanisms aren't interlinked or intertwined, which means that you could just add in a new route. You could just throw in the 21st you know path to victory in a game, and it wouldn't break the rest of the game because it's so isolated from everything mm-hmm. else. Well, if you have a really tight-knit game where everything is intertwined and interlocked, you can't just like throw something in there. It'll break everything else because everything is connected to everything. And so... In those older Euro games, they tend to be simpler and more interactive and not have this paths to victory thing. But I think it's precisely because they can't just throw a new path and it'll break everything. It's so intertwined. Whether or not it's fun, I think it depends on the audience. For a modern audience, it apparently is.
2: I'm just thinking of, you know, all of the... the the classic old games that are still around like you know your chess and your go and your backgammon and crokinole and you know all of these whatever you want to call them <laughs> um you didn't have expansions obviously you know what i mean it's just like and i just think like games in general kind of come from this place of pre-internet pre-kickstarter pre-release another expansion a month down the road or a year later or in the same at the same time while you're launching you know what i mean like it was just a one and done kind of deal, so I think maybe there's something kind of novel about it, like we had we've had the single path to victory for so long that now we're still kind of in this era of like what if <laughs> you know and it's kind of this new thing that we've almost discovered it feels, or in a way, like maybe like the internet and the ease of kind of getting accessing things or making a new batch you know kickstart like crowdfunding maybe I think has supported that where you can do like a smaller run of something and just do another expansion and that kind of
1: encourages this sort of modular give them five more paths it definitely helps from an economic standpoint on the publisher side if a system can be very easily grown to your point because that allows for expansions it allows for um, promo packs it allows for little things that you can throw in there actually a really great example of this and like I'm not saying this as a bad thing, but like Castles of Burgundy, you can just throw a single tile into that game. It doesn't break the game. It adds flavor to the game. And, you know, that potentially adds another path to victory in the game, even though that's all about placing tiles. There are, you know, which tiles am I going to go for this game? Can I afford to ignore them? I just
2: thought of like trading card games, like, you know, your magic or whatever, like in a way that. Mm -hmm. Pre crowdfunding <laughs> uh, was a was a source of you know multiple paths in a in a tabletop game where you could say I'm going to do the the blue wizard you know magic casting route. There was definitely something kind of like a fighting game that kept that fresh. I think.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that is a really good uh, point because that does kind of give us a very very popular thing from you know a time before the internet. And I think part of what makes that appealing, especially when multiple paths of victory is done well and done in a fairly broad sense, like MTG has a tremendous amount of different decks you can do, but it's very satisfying to build a deck. At least I've heard it's very satisfying to build a deck that like works very, very well every time you're kind of putting some ownership onto that. And that's a part of you. So it's going to feel like an extension of yourself. Same on a board game, like if I'm playing Great Western Trail and I've done my, you know, builder, uh, train engineer strat where, you know, I go hard on builder and then I have a couple of engineers there to help my train game. That feels really good because, you know, I see other people that are going hard on one strat or hard on another strat or kind of trying to do a little bit of everything. But I know mine's working really well and it feels really good because I thought of that and I'm doing it now. So our impromptu segment, I'd say what is... How do we even frame that? What about just your
0: favorite multiple paths to victory game? Because I think we're all kind of saying we don't tend to like those, but there's exceptions to everything. Oh, Great Um, Western
1: Trail is the exception. It's the exception that makes the rule, Robert. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: not my exception.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know if it would be my exception either. I think mine would probably be Pipeline if we're going to say that that is a multiple paths to victory game. I don't know that it necessarily is, though, because at the end of the day, oil is money and money is points and how yeah. you sell that oil can kind of vary but you're at the end of the day just selling oil so cut everything i just said out i mean i ca- I mean pipeline is an interesting thing because
0: it's, it's really playing both sides a little bit because um, there's certainly like like a few ways to get points but they're just so competitive yeah. that it feels very interactive the whole time
1: this has been hard for me. I'm looking at my top 25 games and it's like I've always thought I liked multiple passive victory games. And I've realized I apparently don't through this conversation, which isn't a hate on them. It's just like <laughs> I don't play them. Um, but I do think and this could be recency bias, but I really am enjoying Stroganoff. I like Great Western Trail a lot as well. But I think Stroganov just has this really gorgeous art first off. So you're playing as like Russian czars that are exploring Siberia and going deeper and deeper every season. And you're writing songs and you're collecting tiles and all this cool stuff you're doing. But it scratches this part of my brain that a lot of Vital do where it's just like, if I do this, then I'll get this resource, which on my next turn I can convert into this, which I can then spend on this, which I can then do for this, which will get me five points and it's got this really cool combo thing, and it's not super interactive in like a war game sense, but there are turns where you are setting yourself up, someone sees that, sneaks in there, steals a bunch of the stuff that you needed to use, and they do something completely different than what you were planning on using them for, but they're able to do it, and it's like, oh, if I had just planned this out like half a turn sooner, I would have been able to do better. So it's this really cool efficiency puzzle, which uh, I really enjoy.
0: That's a good pick. I like that game quite a bit too. I was trying to think if there are any Kanitsias, because if there are, I would probably pick Dang. it. And the only one that I think counts is Mele Fiori. But anyways, I'm not, I'm not going to pick Mele Fiori. Dang. I decided instead to go with, uh, <laughs> with Feld, because Feld is the point-salad king. And so, I was torn between Aquasphere and Bora Bora. But I think Aquasphere actually has less paths to victory than Bora Bora. So just from that, I'm going to pick Bora Bora. Uh, Bora Bora is an older Euro game. It's still after like 2008-ish, which is when I think like all this, this really modern Euro thing took off. Um, but the theming is pretty weak, as it is in all felt games. But the thing that makes the multiple paths to victory fun for me as a player is that every round there is some set of goals, and you have to score one, and you have to take a new one. And they come out in a complete random order. So I can't before the game be like, I'm going to do jewelry this game. Because those might not come out soon enough. Like I'm forced to by the game to find a new path every time. I can't enter the game with a a path in mind. Cool. And it's not so um, easy to ignore everything. You will often do a little bit of everything but focus on one or two things. And so that kind of gives me enough of that like old-school itch of like I have to meddle in most things, um, but it's also not so extreme that I can just totally ignore two of the six actions or whatever there are. So it's a, it's a good in-between, but it's still mostly the multiple paths. Uh, so yeah, Bora Bora would be my pick for favorite uh, in this genre-slash-category.
2: One that I think I don't see get talked about a lot, so I'd like to talk about it, is a game called Oceans. It is kind of like a... It's not a deck builder. It's you get cards and you can lay them out and like you have a little species of fish and there's interaction in that your left and right one, whatever you 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 can't change the order of your species. You kind of have to like lay them out in a row and your left and right ones can interact with the player on your left and right. So you can like have a predator on your left side that's like attacking the player on your left and same thing with your right. Or you can just have these more passive ones that kind of just like filter feed and do stuff and they're way more chill or they're just like very defensive they just have a lot of shield and they just kind of like they score points and they just try to not get attacked and so there's a lot of different ways you can go with it and it's also really interesting i love the way the game is kind of split in two halves um there's specifically Mm -hmm. like an event that adds like this whole deck and things kind of change but for the first half you're kind of limited to like a dozen cards and you kind of you can get multiples of them but you kind of learn the ropes and you just kind of make this basic thing and then this big explosion happens and you get these like super powerful cards and they're it's like this fat stack and they're all unique and you have to pay points to play them but like those are very like ooh which one do I actually want to like spend my points to put down and whether you go more aggressive or who you attack i just think it kind of like what you're saying where it sometimes it forces you a little bit or depending on what you draw is like there's an optimal way to use what you drew but like i feel like every time i play it it's kind of like hmm how aggressive do i want to be who's on my left who's on my right which way do i want to go with my aggression if i want to be that way at all you know like um yeah i really like that one
0: oceans is such a cool game it's like some weird combination of magic engine building and cosmic encounter it's just like Chaotic craziness, but also
2: an engine builder. It's it's really it's really special. Yeah, it's a yeah, good it's pick. really really unique and goofy, and I love it. And and very thematic too. I like like I love how the whole like Cambrian explosion is like actually kind of you know it's like meant yeah. to have feel like you're this evolution wave just hits all of a sudden. It's very cool the way it feels like it feels very impactful because you play half the game without it basically. I know I've heard people complain about it not being or like that being weird, or they just want to start there. And I'm like, I don't know. It's
1: unique. (laughs) Yeah. That was a great sales pitch, Steve.
2: Yeah. I'm off topic. I'm,
0: (laughs) I mean, if we get more people playing oceans, we can't complain. All right. I think that is everything we finished off with our segment as usual. Um, so unless anybody has anything else to add, I'm going to pause for a second for nods or head shakes, two head shakes, ladies and gentlemen, two head shakes. Um, we'll end it there. Thank you so much for listening at this point. You know where to find us. And if you don't, just watch another episode and listen to the epilogue. You'll definitely know where to find us. Um, (laughs) See you guys next time. Later.
1: Play some games.